Well, good morning. Great to see everybody today. Uh, and as the decorations in this room can attest to, uh, Thanksgiving season is officially over. It's behind us. And the Christmas season is now upon us. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm ready for some Christmas, okay? Uh, I was ready back in July, okay? Um, I used to judge people that put out their Christmas decorations early. Not in 2020. I'm like, listen, if you put them out back in August, good for you. Like, I get it, okay? I get it. Um, but man, I'm, I'm about done with 2020, amen? Like, get 2020 behind me. Get behind me. Uh, now, I don't know about you, um, but I'm, I'm ready to have some hope again. I'm ready to have some hope again. And when I say hope, I'm, I'm not talking about like that wishful type of thinking type of hope. I'm talking like biblical hope, like hope that's rooted in the faithful promises of God, like confident expectation type of hope, like joyful things are going to get a lot better type of hope. Um, I need some of that hope. Our culture needs some of that hope. And that's why I'm excited about the Christmas season because Christmas is all about hope. And for those of us in Christ, this season reminds us that we have great reason to be hopeful because our hope is not rooted in the government. It's not based upon our 401k. It's not hinged on our social status. It's not based on what we have or don't have. It's not based on our past, on what we've done or what we haven't done. Our hope is rooted in a person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who left his throne in heaven in order to dwell among us so that he might be Emmanuel, God with us, to show mankind that he ain't done with us yet. And because of his great love, better days are coming. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about today as we dive into Matthew chapter 1, if you want to open there. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about why Christmas is all about hope. And we're going to talk about how the incarnation gives us hope. And so what we're going to do um, over the next few weeks is we're going to prepare our hearts this Christmas season by observing Advent. And preparation is really important because preparation signifies worth and value. Like if you prepare for something, it shows that you really care about it. Okay, for example, um, like when I take my wife on a date and I come home from work, if she asks, she says, hey, what are we doing tonight? If I respond, well, I haven't really thought about it yet, what do you want to do? If we go on a date, it's going to be pretty awkward, okay? It's going to be a silent night, <laughs> um, because I didn't put much thought into it and she could tell. On the other hand, if I come home with flowers, I say, hey, beautiful, I'll reserve two spots for us at El Marisol, and then we're going to go see a movie. Want to get ready? Well, boom, that just changed the whole trajectory of the night, right? Because she can tell that I've been thinking about her, and that helps her to feel appreciated. That helps her to feel valued. You see, preparation indicates worth and value. The old English word for worship is the word worthship. So we worship God well by showing him how valuable and worthy he is to us. And that's the purpose of Advent. 
Advent creates a season of preparation so that we can worship Christ well during Christmas. And if you study church history, uh, you'll find that the early church traditionally observed Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, which means today, November 29th, is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you're not familiar with Advent, if you're sitting here like, man, you keep mentioning that word, I don't know what it means. It, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or coming. And so the purpose of Advent is to intentionally position our hearts to remember the birth of Jesus, to remember his arrival, to remember his coming, so that we can joyfully anticipate his second coming, the second Advent when he's going to come again. And that's what Christmas season is supposed to be about. It's joyfully remembering his appearing and joyfully anticipating his coming. But as you and I know all too well, it's very easy to get caught up in the busyness and chaos of this season, so much so that we miss out on the unique opportunities that we have to worship Christ during this season. And so what Advent does is it purposefully slows us down so that we can pause and ponder upon the significance of this season, upon the significance of the incarnation. And so that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to take four Sundays to focus on Advent. Now, if you go online, there's all sorts of resources uh, that you can get. Some calendars, devotional guides, in order to guide you through this season. But what we're going to do as a church is we're going to focus on four main themes. Okay, so today we're going to focus on hope. Next week we'll focus on love, then peace, and then joy. And each Sunday we're going to have an Advent reading and a candle lighting ceremony in order to signify the, the purpose and theme of that week. And then throughout the week, what our pastoral team has done is we created a daily Advent guide where there's going to be devotionals, songs, family activities, in correspondence with the theme of that week, okay, as you see on the slide here. So if you go onto the website, you'll find that resource. And I want, I mean, I want to encourage you, go check it out. I mean, it's wonderfully done. We're really excited about this because I think this is a neat way for us as a church to come together and make the most of this season. And so I just want to personally invite you to join us this Christmas in observing Advent. I want to personally invite you to resist the temptation to just go through the motions, but instead make this a season of deep reflection and worship as you contemplate on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for us as we do that, that Romans 15, 13 would become a reality for us, where the Apostle Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer for all of y'all as we embark on this Advent journey. So with that said, um, let's come before the Lord one more time and let's pray and let's ask him to speak to us through his word as we ponder upon the hope-filled words of Matthew 1. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. And just as we just talked about how we don't want to go through the motions this Christmas season. We also don't want to go through the motions as we dive into your word. 
And so would you allow it to sink deep into our hearts so that we may abound with hope and joy and peace and love. So God, we give you this time. Would you be glorified? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25 together again. It says this in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Amen. Well, there are three things that I want us to consider as, as we ponder on this text. Number one is, is I want us to look at the manner in which Jesus arrived, okay? The manner in which Jesus came to earth. And then number two, I, I want us to consider who Jesus is in light of how he came to earth. And then number three, I want us to think about why this should give us hope, okay? So how did Jesus arrive? What does this tell us about Jesus, and why should this make us super hopeful? Okay, that's where we're going. So let's start with how he came. We see in verse 18 that Jesus chose to arrive through Mary, a virgin mother, who was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. So we see from the very get-go that Matthew is cluing his readers into something supernatural that is going on here. This is not a normal pregnancy. Okay, if you ever taking sex ed, this ain't how it happens, okay? Like this is an abnormal pregnancy. Matthew is very clear. Mary has never been sexually intimate with anybody, yet she is pregnant. This is a miracle, probably one of the greatest miracles of all miracles. A virgin girl is pregnant with a child, but not just any child, God's child. I want you to imagine just for a moment, like the thoughts that are probably going through Mary's mind when the angel reveals to her that she's pregnant with God's baby. I mean, I want you to think about like the fear, the worry, the confusion, the amazement that that must have filled her mind. Um, It reminded me uh, when I took my daughter Avery to go see Frozen 2 a couple years ago. And uh, she had never been to a movie theater before, so this is kind of a big deal. And uh, we almost didn't make it through the movie because my, my daughter could barely control her emotions as she was watching this movie. I mean, I didn't even watch the movie. I just watched my daughter's face as she watched the movie. And it, I was just fascinated. And I was like, okay, so this is what it's like to be a woman. I mean, she was just, she was all over the place, okay? Um, and I said, I mean, that's how I am during an Aggie football game, okay? I, I'm the same way. 
Uh, if you're a Cowboys fan, I mean, you only cry one tear of emotion. That's tears of anger, okay, as you watch that team play. Uh, but my daughter, I mean, when she was watching Frozen, I mean, she cried every type of emotion, like tears of happiness, tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of anger, tears of relief. I mean, she experienced the full range. And I, I, I think about that, and I was like, I, I bet Mary had a similar reaction when she found out she was impregnated with God's son. I imagine she had every type of emotion when she was like, I am going to be the mom of God Almighty. Because the scriptures are very clear. Physically speaking, Jesus is Mary's son. Mary is the biological mother of Jesus. Jesus had a human mother. But Jesus did not have a human father. Matthew is very clear about this as well. Mary was not pregnant because of human origin, but was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus indeed had a biological human mother, but he did not have a biological human father. In fact, if Jesus did have a human father, then the Bible is untrustworthy because the Bible claims he did not. Dr. Walverd, the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said this, when it came to the incarnation of Christ, he says, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. And so what Dr. Wolvert is pointing out here is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine of Christianity because if there's nothing supernatural about the virgin birth of Jesus then there's nothing supernatural about his obedient life, his substitutionary death, and his bodily resurrection. If Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary, then that makes Jesus a mere man. And if Jesus was a mere man, then Christians should be pitied the most. If Jesus had a biological human father, then that means the scriptures are untrue and are rejoicing And singing during this Advent season would be in vain. Because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then today we live, tomorrow we die, so just go do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry. And the reality is, ever since the beginning, there have been those who have slandered the name of Jesus and accused him of just being an illegitimate son. There have been claims that he was just a boy born out of wedlock, that Mary was an adulteress, and Jesus was the product of a sinful affair. That's all he was. And to be honest, I mean, that's what would have made sense if you were alive during this time trying to be objective about the situation. I want you to think about the optics here. (laughs) You've got Joseph, who was betrothed to Mary, which basically meant that a contract had been made where he was going to take Mary as his wife. So in Jewish culture, a betrothal was made about a year before the consummation of marriage. So in today's language, I want you to think engagement. Okay, so they were engaged and they were about to be married. So I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. You're engaged to Mary. You've been faithful. You haven't given in to sexual temptation. You've kept your marriage vows. 
you have fought to remain pure until the wedding day. I want you to think about the boundaries and the discipline that Joseph probably put into place to be sure that he honored Mary physically before marriage. Yet one day, Joseph finds out that his fiancée, the woman whom he loves, the woman he was prepared to spend the rest of his life with, is pregnant. And all he knows is that this child cannot be his own because they've never been sexually intimate. I want you to think about how Joseph probably felt in that moment. I want you to imagine like the grief, the heartbreak, the betrayal, the sadness, and the anger that Joseph must have felt. He had every right to rage, invent, and make a public spectacle of Mary if she indeed cheated on him with another man. But look how Joseph responds in verse 19. Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Wow. Okay. Um, listen, we don't, we don't know much about Joseph. I mean, as you look at the scriptures, not much is said about Joseph. We know he came from a godly line. That's what verses 1 through 17 in Matthew 1 is all about. Um, Joseph's genealogy went all the way back to the Davidic throne, which is really important because if Joseph takes ownership of Mary's child, then this gives Mary's child the legal rights to the line of David, which would fulfill Old Testament prophecy. We'll get to that. But besides Joseph's family line, we don't know much about the guy. Uh, We know he wasn't around during Jesus' earthly ministry. We don't know what happened. Um, More than likely, he probably died. But what we do know about Joseph from these few verses is that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. How do we know that? Well, because unrighteous men don't respond to painful situations the way that Joseph responded. Unrighteous men don't respond to painful situations like Joseph responded. From the looks of things, Joseph's been played. It seems Mary cheated on him with another man. Most men would have made a demonstration of Mary, but not Joseph. Even with a broken heart, even in much grief, he was going to divorce her quietly. He was not going to deal with her in a humiliating fashion. He was going to treat her with dignity even though it looked like she betrayed him in the most painful way possible. Before we continue breaking down the text, I think there's a quick word for us. I give a lot of relationship advice (laughs) because I oversee the singles ministry at Wayside. I love them, okay? They're tremendous. Um, And because of that, I do a lot of wedding ceremonies and a lot of premarital counseling. Um, In the fall alone, I had six to seven different couples ask me to marry them. I mean, it, it's unreal. Like, people are love drunk during this quarantine season, okay? Like, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. And I love getting to be a part of weddings. I tell my singles ministry all the time, I'm like, hey, if you do a destination wedding, like to the Bahamas, I'm your guy, okay? I'm your guy. If you're doing, like, a wedding here in town in your backyard, call Roger, okay? <laughs> okay? But I love getting to be a part of those special moments, And while those moments are really awesome, I also, unfortunately, witness and counsel a lot of people through some heartbreak. And I'll say this, no one cries harder than those who have had their hearts broken. No one cries harder than those who have had their hearts broken. 
And many of you listening, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. You know what it's like to be burned by someone you thought loved you. I mean, that type of pain is very real and it's very deep. And the temptation for us is when we go through something like that is to get vengeance, to gossip, to get back at that person by trying to ruin their reputation and doing so in a very public manner. And I see it from time to time, unfortunately. People get hurt. They break up. They go on Facebook. They spill details out on Facebook publicly that most people do not need to know. And they don't just end up tearing down the reputation of the other person but themselves as well because they didn't respond with integrity. Listen, church, when we get hurt by other people, which we will, let's be like Joseph, seeking to deal with the situation quietly. Let's treat others with dignity, even if they don't do the same towards us. And I know that's really hard to do, but it's the right thing to do because there's a righteous way to deal with relational pain. And Joseph is an example of that for us. So that's what Joseph decides to do. Instead of making a public spectacle of Mary, he decides to deal with her secretly, not wanting to disgrace her because he was a righteous man. But since this was a supernatural birth, God chose to deal with Joseph in a supernatural way as God sent his angel to Joseph in a dream in order to reveal to Joseph that Mary had conceived a child because of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You've got to believe that Joseph, like Mary, probably experienced the full range of emotions as he contemplated the reality of this miraculous event. But now I think it's neat because I think we get a glimpse as to perhaps why God chose Mary to be Jesus' mom and why he chose Joseph to be Jesus' adoptive father. Because while Mary and Joseph weren't perfect, by golly, they were faithful. They loved God and they obeyed his voice. And we see that here. Now, while Jesus was born to a biological mother, he was born to an adoptive father. And while Jesus was not biologically Joseph's son, legally he was. Notice here that it was Joseph who names the child. That may seem like a small detail, but it's significant for this reason. In Jewish culture, if the father names the child, he is taking ownership of the child and claiming that the baby is a member of his family. And some of you listening, like you, you've done this. Like you've adopted a child and it's beautiful. It's like, it's such a gift. And that's what Joseph does here. He adopts this child and he names him Jesus, which means Yahweh is Savior just as the angel commanded. And by naming the child and taking Mary's boy as his own, this gave Jesus the legal rights to Joseph's line, which was the line of David, where the promised Messiah was prophesied to come through, as we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Just listen as I read. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There's the prophecy. Hundreds of years before, and Joseph fulfills it because our God is true to his word. So you've got Jesus, born to a virgin mother. He's born to an adoptive father. And then look at verse 21. As it points out, Jesus was born to a sinful world, as this child will save his people from their sins. You know, it's interesting, even in Mary's pregnancy, we see salvific undertones. Jesus came to a broken world in need of a savior. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning for redemption. You don't have to be a Christian to realize that, that things aren't right in this world. Just turn on the news. Watch a political debate for crying out loud, okay? People are very frustrated with the brokenness in our society. Everybody listening right now can attest to the fact that Something is not right with our world. There's greed. There's adultery. There's murder. There's corruption. There's injustice. It's everywhere, and that's the world we live in. But I think all of us, if we're humble, we would admit that the problem isn't just out there. It's in here. Because every single one of us, we've got issues that we don't know how to fix on our own. Like some of you, or listen, and you've tried really, really hard to fix yourself, but there's something innate in you that just keeps falling short. We continue to do things that we wish we wouldn't do. And if that's you, that's me too. That's all of us. But the problem is, most of the world tells us that we're basically good. If we just believe in ourselves, then we can accomplish anything. If we just elect the right president, if we just fix this one area of our life, if we just discipline ourselves in this way, things will get better. Things will be all right. And I'll say this as a millennial, every generation has their flaws, but where my generation got messed up is everybody told us how awesome we were. (laughs) Everybody told us how awesome we were. Everybody told us if we just tried our best, if we just dreamed the biggest, we could, we could do anything that we put our minds to. And now millennials are growing up and we're seeing record-breaking numbers when it comes to anxiety and depression because my generation is realizing that that's not true because we've got major issues that we don't know how to fix. But everyone told us if we just believed in ourselves, if we just worked hard, we could accomplish our dream. It's a lie. It's a lie. Now, is mankind capable of doing remarkably good things? Of course we are. We've been created in the image of God. But when it comes to the consequences of sin, when it comes to the problem of evil, we're spiritually bankrupt. There ain't nothing we can do about it. There's nothing morally good about us. Unless God intervenes, we're in trouble. There ain't nothing we can do to fix the sin problem that exists in us. The problem of sin needed a divine solution, which is why it is of great importance that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. In order to show us that ultimately Jesus didn't come from man, he came from God. Because we've got a sin problem that only God can fix. And praise be to God, as the scriptures reveal, 
that even in our sin, our God demonstrated his love towards us by sending his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it was through his life and his death and his resurrection that he brings anyone who would believe in him new life. Despite our wickedness, despite our brokenness, Jesus came to earth to show us that he's not done with us. He's not done. The cross of Christ proves that he loves us, that he has paved a way out of this sin mess. And hear me out, like, Jesus didn't save us because we were a good investment. Jesus didn't save us because of what we would give him in return. No, Jesus saved us solely because that's what he wanted to do. He stoops down towards hurting people. He tells them to rise because of himself. Because he's that good. He's that loving. It's just who he is. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help. By his grace, he breathes on you, calls your name, and through faith you rise. It's a gift. It's a gift. That's why arrogant Christians are the weirdest people in the world. Okay? It's like, what are you arrogant about? You did nothing to earn your salvation. You ain't going to walk into the pearly gates one day and everyone's going to stand up and clap. Man, what an awesome guy that person was. No, like we're all on the same page. We all deserve sin. We are all broken, yet our God is a gracious God. And he gives us that which we don't deserve, eternal life. And he does it not because of what we would do for him. He just does it because he does it. He loves us. It's crazy. Everything we're given in Christ is a gift. Salvation is a gift. We do nothing to earn it. And we see that even in the incarnation. God didn't need Joseph or Mary to create Jesus. The fact that Mary was pregnant, the fact that Joseph got to be the adoptive dad of Jesus was a pure gift. It was a miracle. It was outrageous. It was grace. It was grace. And it's the same with salvation. Like if some of you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you, like you don't have to do anything to get right with God. There's nothing you can do to earn a relationship with him. It's a gift. It's a gift. Christ died for you because he loves you. All you have to do is believe and everlasting life is yours. Relationship with God is yours. And if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I believe that, but you're still living your life as if you have to do certain things for God to like you. No, you don't. You're saved by grace. By grace, God loves you. There's nothing you can do to separate the love of Christ from you. So rest in that this morning. Worship Christ this season. Our God is good. He's good. And the beautiful mystery about Jesus Christ is that he truly is the God-man. He's the God-man. Since Jesus was born of Mary, he's fully human. But since he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, he is fully God. It truly is a beautiful thing to grasp. Since Jesus is fully human, that means he can truly empathize with us. Like he gets you. Like if you're sitting here going, man, like nobody knows me. That's not true. Jesus knows you because he's fully human. He got tired like you. He got hungry like you. 
Some of you are like, yeah, I'm hungry now. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> Jesus understands because he got hungry. He increased in wisdom like us. He learned like us. He was emotional like us. Do you feel troubled right now? Jesus felt troubled. Jesus at times felt overwhelmed. Jesus was sad at times. Jesus laughed when he was happy because he was just like us, fully human, like he knows what you're going through. He empathizes with you. He's intimately familiar with all your struggles, all your sorrows, all your joys. He gets you. He identifies with you, which made him the perfect substitute. And that's why he could go to the cross, because he can represent you. So when he died on that cross, it's like you died on that cross. That sinful nature, he took it. He took it all. He's fully human. But as the scriptures say, he wasn't just fully human, he was also fully God. He didn't just possess the full range of human characteristics. He also possessed the full range of divine characteristics. The scriptures show us that he had power over disease. He cleansed lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He had power over nature. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He rebuked demons. He forgave sin. He conquered death. And ultimately, he came back to life. What the scriptures say is Jesus is all-powerful He's all-knowing, he's unchangeable, he's completely sovereign, he's perfectly holy, he is fully God. He's fully God. In some mysterious way, he was born a baby while sustaining the universe. He was 30 years old while existing for all eternity. He was tired while also being all-powerful. He died while also conquering death. He returned to heaven while also somehow being present with us right now. In some beautiful, mysterious way, his nature is distinct yet unified. Jesus is forever the God-man. And it's the greatest news in the world. In Genesis 1, a man was born who had succumbed to sin. In Matthew 1, a man was born who would save us from our sin. In Genesis, God created. In Matthew, God redeems. He redeems. And that's why you and I have hope right now. Because hope has come. Hope is with us right now. And hope is coming again. So lift your eyes. Our God is good. He loves you. He ain't done with you yet. And better days are coming. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we praise you during this Advent season. As we reflect on what you've done in the past, it gives us hope to keep going because we know good things are coming in the future because you're coming again, God. You're faithful. God, I pray for anyone here that has spent their life thinking they need to earn their way to you or do a bunch of good things in order to or to have a relationship with you? God, would you break them down right now? Show them there ain't nothing they can do to overcome their sin. The only hope they have rests in the God-man, Jesus Christ, who loves them just because he loves them. And I pray that they would rest in that grace right now and they would turn to you through faith. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God rose Jesus from the dead, we will 
be saved. Would they do that right now, Lord? And for those of us that do believe, God, help us not to go back to our old ways, but to remember that we are a child of God by grace. And may we live in that grace and worship you for that grace. God, we love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, for those of you online, thanks for joining us. And uh, just want to remind you, we've got an Advent guide. Okay, daily Advent guide. Go online, check it out. It's really well done. And join us in this Advent season. Y'all have a great week.